What Goes On Media. This is Coming Out Stories. It's a podcast about one of the most important conversations of your life. I'm your host, Emma Goswell. Thanks for listening. And now it's time for a Coming Out Stories first. Now, we've spoken to so many people from across the LGBT spectrum, but until now, we've never spoken to anyone who identifies as asexual. Well, it's now time to right that wrong and hear from Rianne. She works as a bookseller and she gave me a real education and a fascinating insight into what it really means to be ace. So if you want the full label, um, (laughs) I consider myself to be a panromantic asexual person. So for a lot of people, it would make them go, oh, my head hurts. I don't fully understand all (laughs) of that. This sounds like new terminology to me. If people are listening and they, you know, this is the first time they've heard those descriptions, how how would you explain it? So I think one of the major misconceptions about asexuality is that it's people just not having sex, which I understand, especially from the the title, asexual is, you would assume, not sex. Um, But that's not the case. My personal preference for the definition is a lack of sexual attraction or somebody who experiences little or no sexual attraction so it's not just people who don't experience it at all it's people who experience it not very much um and to understand that model which is something that i was lacking for a long time it helps to think of romantic and sexual attraction as separate things uh, which a lot of people don't have to do a lot of people they are the same (laughs) um if you are sexually attracted to women you are romantically attracted to women And for me, that's not the case. I don't experience sexual attraction at all. Um, I've had a lot of fun with people trying to explain to me what it is and how it works. I don't understand. (laughs) Um, But I am romantically attracted to people of any and all genders, um, so far as I know, which is where the pan-romantic asexual bit comes in. I get it. So what's interesting to me is hearing you say that is when we talk about sexuality being on a spectrum, there may be libidos on a spectrum as well. And Absolutely. Uh, you know, some people are very, very overtly sexual. And I'm not, don't think I'm totally generalizing here when I say men are generally more sexual. And in fact, trans men will tell you as soon as they start taking testosterone, their sex drive goes through the roof. Yes. Um, so we know that there's a spectrum there, isn't there, in terms of some people have got a very high sex drive and some people haven't. So what you're saying essentially is that you're just at the lower end of that spectrum. I mean, I can be. So sex drive and sexual attraction are separate things. Mm. There are a lot of people who don't experience sexual attraction who have a very high libido. It's really difficult, I think, for a lot of people, thinking about them as separate things for the first time. Right. Um, because that for so many people, they are all bundled up together. They are all experienced together. Um, if you have a high sex drive, you're probably sexually attracted to a lot of people. But for asexual people, that's not necessarily the case. Um, And being ace doesn't necessarily mean that you don't want to have sex or that you're not interested in having sex. And as as a young person, for me, that's what confused me for a very long time and meant that I didn't realise I was asexual for a long time because I did want to be having sex with people, um, especially people that I was romantically interested in. And I thought that discounted me from being ace. Um, And it doesn't at all. Um, I, I don't experience sexual attraction but when the whole world is built towards everybody experiencing it in the same way and on the assumption that everybody does experience sexual attraction 
realizing that you don't can be really difficult because you just assume that that's your baseline. And one of my examples for this is when I was probably about 14, I had guessed that I wasn't straight, but I wasn't like fully aware of the the terminology. I didn't know what asexuality was. For a long time when I did know what it was, I didn't think it applied to me. And when I was about 14, I remember sitting in my classroom at school, not paying attention, trying to figure out whether or not I would enjoy having sex with a woman. And the baseline answer, I was like, I'm pretty sure I wouldn't. I'm pretty sure that's not a thing that I want to do. So I was like, okay, well, I'm not queer then. What I didn't do (laughs) was sit there and go, oh, I wonder if I'd like to have sex with a man. I didn't go that far because the baseline is straight. I was like, oh, well, if I'm not attracted to women, I must be attracted to men. That's how this works, right? I'm guessing this was a math lesson, I guess. (laughs) Your thoughts always wander in a math lesson, in my experience. It was probably biology, to be perfectly (laughs) honest. So when you were 14 then, were, you know, your colleagues, your classmates, your mates would have been saying, oh, I really fancy such and such, you know, this, whether it's a celebrity or whether it's someone else at school. Um, and what was your experience? You just didn't, you couldn't have, you couldn't relate. You couldn't have those conversations, I guess. You didn't really fancy anyone. I, I lied. I straight yeah. up lied. Um, this is one of the things that as an adult for a very long time, I didn't realize was an ace experience until I read a book uh, called Loveless by Alice Oseman that came out last summer, which Mm. is a coming out story for uh, an aromantic asexual person. So aromantic is you don't experience romantic attraction either. Um, And the book opens with her as a secondary school student uh, and somebody asks her who her crushes are and she just picks the person in the room who's the most aesthetically attractive and goes, that one, I like that one. (laughs) (laughs) And that is 100% something that I did. And I didn't really know that I was doing that because my brain was like, that person is objectively the most attractive person in that room, in this room. Therefore, you probably want to have sex with them, right? That's a thing. Don't think any further than that. That's just the way it works. It's the same for everybody else. Everybody else also goes, "Mm, who's the most attractive? That one, I'll like them. (laughs) Lou, it's similar to like a young lesbian I spoke to once who was like, oh, all my mates fancied someone in one direction. So they just went, well, we all fancy these. So Zane's left. So then they had to pretend that they fancied Zane and even went to the extent <laughs> of putting posters on their wall. Like, we yeah. clearly didn't fancy Zane from one direction. Exactly. What we get, the lengths we go to. I know. And the lengths that we don't know that we're going to either. Like at the time, I wouldn't have been able to tell you that that's what I was doing. Mm. I had no idea. I would, sometimes I want to go back in, in time and give my teenage self a hug and be like, it's fine, you'll get there. <laughs> Bless. There were a lot of times in my teenagers that looking back now are really obvious. Like, this is a moment where I should have guessed. And I didn't because I didn't know that it existed as a concept. And that's one of the things that I do now as an adult. Now that I know it exists, I am out and loud and proud as much as I can be, especially because asexuality is such an invisible orientation. I walk down the street with my cis male partner. I'm a cis woman. We look straight. And Mm. I haven't always been in that position. I've had girlfriends before and, you know, we've had that fun kind of, oh, do we feel safe walking down the street holding hands conversation? You don't get that as an ace person. And it means that there are a lot of people I've met in the shop who 
especially since Loveless has come out. And this book has been a turning point as my in my experience as a bookseller. Okay. It has been a turning point for teenagers because they've come in and they've said, I'm looking for this one specific book. They don't go, I'm looking for a book about so asexuality. They don't say that, you know, they're looking for books about like queer identity. They go, I found out about Loveless. Somebody's told me about it. I need to read it. I've had some really wonderful and illuminating conversations with teenagers especially who buy this book and when I go oh I love this you know as an ace person it really means something to me that it's been done so well and so thoroughly and carefully and the book is incredible and they look at me and they go oh my god a real ace person (laughs) well this is the thing I mean I've I've met one person in my life you know I'm, I'm nearly 50 and I've met one person previously who identifies as a ace or asexual and I feel like they've been hard to find. I feel bad that I've been doing this podcast for two years and we've never had anyone talking about it. And it's not through want of trying or for, from trying to exclude them from the conversation. It's, you know, I feel like there aren't that many people out. Do you feel like the same or, or do you feel like things are changing? It is definitely changing and it's changing very fast. The asexual flag has only existed since 2010. Mm-hmm. Um, the term for it has existed for a lot longer. Uh, we think it's from around 1970, from the GLF kind of era. But it's really only come into common use since the existence of the internet. I mean, I found out about asexuality through Tumblr. And that is not an uncommon experience. Wow, um, okay. Yes, there are a lot of people. So I was a fandom person for a very long time. And one of the reasons that it took me so long to realise I was ace was that one of my first exposures to asexuality was through Sherlock Holmes, who is quite often presented as an asexual character in fandom because fandom tends to be quite queer as a space and there mm-hmm. are ace people looking for, you know, for representation. He's not the best choice because he's a sociopath and that comes with a <laughs> lot of the stereotypes of asexuality, mm. which is, you know, if you don't, if you don't experience sexual attraction then there's something wrong with you or like, like for a very long time, I thought I was broken. I thought there was something wrong with me and that I was never going to have a successful relationship. I was, you know, never going to learn how to be happy by myself. I did both of those things, by the way, separately. <laughs> good, good to hear. I feel like there are a lot of stereotypes then. So that's one, yes. is it, that you're sort of a bit of a sociopath, that you're yes. cold hearted, that... that you'll be alone forever. And also that because you will be alone forever, you'll be unhappy doing so, which I, I personally struggle with because it really undermines the value of friendship which I feel like is an entirely separate issue. But like, if you're monogamous and you hook up with one person and you spend your life with that person, mm. that doesn't devalue any of your friendships. That doesn't make them worth any less to you. And I think this is a problem that I've had with some friends as well. I've had some very close friends who get a boyfriend for the first time and vanish off the face of the earth because mm. society has this kind of ingrained idea that your significant other is everything you need. They are your romantic person, your sexual person. They are all of your emotional support, all of your physical support. They are absolutely everything to you. And that's very sweet. It undervalues friendship, which is incredibly important and has got me and I'm sure hundreds of thousands of other people through the most difficult parts of their lives, even when they were in relationships. Well, in my experience, friends are around a lot longer than girlfriends have in the past for my, in my personal life anyway. (laughs) That too. I mean, I think part of the problem is if you put that much pressure on one person, that's a lot to carry as well. 
that's a lot for one person to be doing and for you to be doing for them. Was there a point where you had to actually, you know, and, and did you feel like there was a point where you felt like you had to announce this to the world or, or the, sort of have the p- moment with the parents? Or do you feel that that isn't the conversation that, that you have with members of your family? That's, that's the difficult thing. I think because there is so little understanding about asexuality, if you come out to somebody as ace, you have to do ace 101 with them. Like, unless they're really, really clued in, you have to sit down and be like, okay, so this is what I am. And also, that's what this is, this is what that means, you know? You can't just say, okay, I'm gay, and then leave it and get on with life. You have to stop and discuss it, which I'm not going to say that it's harder in any way, but when you're gearing up to come out to somebody, you have different things to consider. Mm. Um, And I've had a lot of people who I explain to them that I'm asexual, they don't know what it means. I explained to them what it is, that asexuality is a spectrum, that libido and sexual attraction are separate things. And then they asked me about my sex life. And I'm like, I, okay, <laughs> we've just met, like just met. I'm not going to tell you about what me and my partner do in our private time, what we do or don't do. That's none of your business. <laughs> I, I think most people assume that asexual people don't have partners and don't have sex. I think that's the assumption yeah. that, that I probably had myself, to be honest. Yeah, and it's absolutely not true. I think I've had probably four partners over my lifetime that I would consider a significant other. And very neatly, two of them were men and two were women. Um, so you're very but, pan. Yeah. <laughs> very very 50 50 the difficulty especially if you're coming out to somebody while you're in a relationship is that you're exposing them to it as well but people would be very confused wouldn't they They'd be like so what you're not sexually attracted to anybody but you are in a relationship and you might exactly. be having sex so it, it yeah. is confusing for people there are many other reasons that ace people have sex many many other reasons some of them are that your partner enjoys sex and you don't dislike it so you will perfectly happily do that for them to make them happy like Mm. you do you know you make dinner for them when they come home from work and they've had a long day that kind of thing you know you might want to have children as an ace person and you might not want to go through the the stress and the money that it costs to go through IVF so you might have sex with your partner you might enjoy sex (laughs) it's not you know it's not a you are asexual you don't like sex what you're saying at the core of it is you weren't you're not sexually attracted to the person you're romantically attracted to the person as a sort of soulmate forward slash friend you're not getting with them because you just fancy the pants off them and you want to get in the knickers yeah not about it's about no attracted to the person Yes, yeah. For a while, and I don't do this anymore because it doesn't actually make sense, but for a while, it seemed to me the only romantic attraction I could have was to be panromantic. Because mm. if you aren't sexually attracted to somebody, then how, how does their gender play into it? You know? Like, that doesn't bother me at all. Um, which isn't how it works. And I'm not going to try and explain how it mm. works because... I don't know. It's outside of my experience. Human sexuality and gender is so complicated. Aren't they? I'm, you know. So when you got together with, with your partner, then do they ask the same sort of questions then that your parents might do? Do they, do they get confused by it? My current partner didn't. Mm. Um, I've also previously dated ace people, which is really nice. Um, so the word for a non-asexual person is allosexual. So my current partner is allosexual. Um, which means that he does experience sexual attraction. 
And it just, I feel like this is a thing that a lot of queer people go through. You don't go into a relationship with any of the pre-existing societal expectations that a lot of straight people do. Mm. You have to sit down and talk about what it is that you want from a relationship, what it is that you expect from a relationship. And for ace people, that just goes a little bit deeper. My first boyfriend, we did not have that conversation. And throughout the the entirety of our relationship we didn't really have any conversations we didn't really talk to each other uh, which Mm. was problematic in itself but it meant that I was coming out to myself and then to my immediate friends and family while I was dating him and when I first came out to him he was like okay well does that change anything about the way that we have our relationship and I was like no no it doesn't It is important to me to know that I am not broken and that I belong to a community of people like me who can share their experiences with me, who can support me through figuring out how to use this terminology to describe my experience. But to you, it kind of doesn't matter. It doesn't really have any effect on the parameters that we've set up for ourselves, which was true at the time. Um, unfortunately, after the breakup, he did leave me with the distinct impression that my sexuality was part of the problem, mm. which is not great. And I feel like that's one of the things that a lot of people are very afraid of as an ace person, especially if you're coming out to yourself and to the people around you while you're in a relationship. That they're going to reject you for it. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. But in hindsight, I was lying to myself about that relationship because we'd gone into it with all of this like we hadn't had the discussion about what we wanted from the relationship we were a straight boy and a straight girl or we thought we were at the time and society tells you what that relationship is going to look like you don't have the discussion you just get on with it and I one of the wonderful things about being queer is that we don't do that anymore all of my friends that are queer as well we We have these don't we we're we're, we're making our own rules up aren't we we make our own families you know we're not having nuclear families it's different exactly and having those explicit conversations with not just your partners but your friends as well means that not only do you have more meaningful relationships because you're open and honest with each other and you know exactly what you're expecting it means that there's no accidental lying to each other there's no like oh I didn't realize that that was what you wanted because you didn't say that and like I didn't realize that this was what I wanted because I didn't say that and we've miscommunicated and now we're falling out like that doesn't happen anywhere near as much and I don't think we would have been able to have a successful relationship even if I had been straight because that was not the only issue that came from the not communicating well the not communicating is definitely a red flag isn't it really but during that you did mention um that you do feel part of a community then so do you feel that there are more people coming out as ace and that there is a bit more of a tribe of you now because certainly 10 years ago it was never talked about was it oh absolutely not i think we we have a joke within the ace community that there's there's a thing as a gaydar right you Mm -hmm. have a gaydar and you're like Mm -hmm. okay i think this person might be queer and then there's an a star where you're like oh my god guys i think this one's ace It shouldn't be so much more exciting, but it is. And it is because there's really not that many of us. It's especially difficult because for a lot of young queer people, that structure and that framework for community is there. The internet exists. There are queer people on the internet creating internet communities that give you a space, a safe space to talk about these things. And a lot of older people don't have that. And also because asexuality is so invisible, you can't look back in history and go, oh, that person was ace. 
sure, you know, there are people who were single their whole lives and never married, and maybe they were a race people, but we don't know for sure in the same way that, you know, just because three women live together doesn't mean either any of them were lesbians. But also there are people like me who experience romantic attraction and might be within relationships who are completely invisible in history. Well, it's like a lot of um, men who were bachelors who never got married. Then there was always rumours about them being gay. But you're right, they might have been ace. They might have been ace. They might just have been single as well. We don't know. (laughs) (laughs) It's that that makes it difficult. The general thinking at the moment is about 1% of the population might be ace, which is, when you think about it, quite a lot. The best example I have of this is when I was at uni, I wanted to be out immediately. From the first day at uni, I had my ace flag on my wall. I was open to people about the fact that I was ace. It became part of my identity in a way that it hadn't been before. Because at school, we were aware. I'd shared it with a small group of friends. But it, I hadn't quite figured out how to come to my, how to come out to my parents. Did your friends accept it, by the way? Did they understand it? Yeah. I wasn't the first person in my friendship group to come out as ace. Oh, okay. Yeah. Wow. So this this is what I'm trying to say, basically, that there are so many more of us than, <laughs> than people think. When I was at uni, because I was so out and so proud, I can count probably six or seven people who came to me first when they were questioning whether or not they were asexual. And I didn't go to a big uni and I didn't have a massive group of friends. It was just that because I was known and because I was open to talking about it, I became a contact point. In person, I've met more than 20. But you said you're, you're an ace activist in a way, because it sounds like you really do, you know, you approached us and you really do want to speak out about it, don't you? And talk about it and raise the profile of ace people. It's so important to me. And I think the reason that it's so important to me is that the first time I ever outwardly, out loud, described myself as asexual, I was doing it as an excuse. There was a guy who was following me home, who was harassing me, basically. He wanted to date me and he wasn't taking no as an answer. And I was aware of what asexuality was. And basically, to me, in that moment, I was going, this is something that you don't have any control over. You can't make yourself attractive to me in any Mm. way. Mm. Piss off. (laughs) Um, Did he get the message? He did. He didn't ask me any questions about it. And in hindsight... It makes me really sad that the first time I ever described myself out loud as something that is so important to me now, I was using it wrong. I was using it in a way that meant I don't have sex, which was not true. And it wasn't questioned. He just went, oh, and left me alone, which admittedly was the end point. (laughs) Well, it just sounds very sad that in his mind, he just went, right, I can't shag her. I'm not going to bother talking to her anymore. I'm not interested. Oh, exactly. That was his problem. That was that was the kind of person that he was. I don't want other people to have to go through that. I don't want other people to have to spend years of their life thinking that they're broken or that there's something wrong with them because there isn't. It's a slow road. I was at uni in an era where the only def- definition of asexuality in the dictionary was the asexual reproduction of bacteria, not as a human sexuality, mm, which lovely. is great. When you come out to people and they go and look it up and they're like, okay, so you're a bacteria. And I'm like, oh, no. (laughs) Thankfully, it it has now been included in the Oxford English Dictionary and a lot of other dictionaries as a human sexuality. It is 
an improvement, but it is still included as a sexual disorder as part of the, um, I think it's called the DSM, the American Diagnostic Tool of like psychoanalysis and psychology and stuff. Really? It's mentioned. So you know how, I think, again, I think it was about the 1970s where homosexuality was removed and stopped being thought of. It was very late on by the World Health Organization, very late on that it wasn't considered a a psychological Who are behind the times? Yeah. But it's still, asexuality is mentioned in, I think it's the DSM-5. But the only distinction between not experiencing sexual attraction as something that is a disorder and not experience sexual attraction as a sexual identity is whether or not the individual is distressed about it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I was distressed about the fact that I was asexual for a very long time because I didn't really understand what it meant and I didn't have a community to belong to and I thought that it I still thought that it meant there was something wrong with me and it's taken a very long time for me to internalize the idea that that's not true it's an age-old fight of every queer identity of getting society to stop seeing you as broken and wrong and different isn't it well it's interesting you said you wanted to speak out because you want young people to feel accepted and normal and part of a community Mm. Um, because the only other asexual person I met was a woman about five or six years ago and I I did end up feeling sorry for her she she said I I just I'm really struggling in life because all I want to do is like live with friends and be I don't want a relationship she Mm -hmm. was very much of that opinion but she said then all the mates that she lived with would end up meeting boyfriends or girlfriends and going off and she's like I don't really want to live on my own and that's the problem I'm having I'm just keep ending up living on my own and I don't really want to I want you know a friendship and you know companionship absolutely Um, and she did feel a bit lost I think really so I just I just came away from meeting her feeling a bit sorry for it really which is not what you want for anybody is it society is not geared towards single people I mean if you've ever tried to rent a flat by yourself oh my god it's expensive (laughs) Mm -hmm. but even that like there's there's always this kind of you know if you're a single person society says there's something missing from your life Oh, even trying to buy food in supermarkets used to make driving oh. mad. Everything's geared up for fat, like two parents and two kids. Yeah. Everything's family <laughs> packs, isn't it? And if you just want to buy one of something, it's like, why can't I just buy one for me? <laughs> exactly. It's yeah. It's so frustrating. And it, it's one of those things that I think, again, being open, being honest about these things, me being personally loud about it, even though I'm in a relationship and I live with my partner and my cat and nobody else and we're like a a nuclear family unit, me being loud and open about the fact that I'm ace is still helping to open doors for people who don't want to live that life. And there are plenty of people who aren't ace and aren't aromantic who also don't want to live that nuclear family life. Mm -hmm. You know, I wish the world was better geared towards people who don't want to be in romantic or sexual relationships. This is going to sound very utopian, but I wish we lived in more open communities and place more value on how close our friendships are like if this year is taught us nothing else yeah. is that <laughs> being able to see and talk to your friends on a regular basis is an absolute lifeline you know? isn't it just I feel like you should have been a hippie in the 1960s or something that's that way <laughs> that's what it feels like that's what it feels like <laughs> living in a commune or some sort you know that was my dream for a long time after the end of my first relationship and when I was you know beginning to wonder whether I ever actually wanted to be in another one Mm. that was 
that was the goal, you know. I ha- I still have that kind of vision that me and and my partner and a lot of our friends will end up living somewhere. Like maybe we'll live in different houses on the same street. Maybe we'll I don't know build a commune in a field in Wales. Who knows? Yes. <laughs> that sounds a lot of fun. I've always liked the idea of communal <laughs> living in a way. Yeah. There are a lot of things about our society that's that are a little bit broken and a little bit janky. And I think being asexual has opened uh, my eyes to a lot more of them than I expected it to. But it makes such a difference having that community. Mm. The community is what's taking me from going, oh, okay, I guess I'm ace, I'll figure out how to live with this, to I love being ace. I mm. really love it. I wouldn't change it if you paid me. <laughs> Well, let's get back to that conversation with your parents then, because you alluded to it, but you said it was um, it was difficult because you feel like you're having to educate them, I think, aren't you? And you feel like you're having to ex- you know, explain everything. I did speak to a non-binary person on this po- podcast, and they said they actually emailed their mother with a series of attachments to explain, <laughs> you know, which is not a bad way of going about it. Did you feel like you had to sort of approach it similarly? Yeah, so... This is going to sound ridiculous, but I came out to my parents by accident, Hmm. not having realised that I hadn't already done it. Oh, okay. Had you had a lot of gin that day? (laughs) No. (laughs) So I think because I had been out and loud and proud of being ace for so long, I had set up and led with my ace flag the first Pride March at our university, and all of that had been all over Facebook. I'd been to so many queer events, and I was running queer spaces. And it was the era of Facebook. I was posting about it all the time. I just thought my parents knew. I thought they'd guessed. <laughs> like, we never sat down and had the conversation. But then I I went to Australia on a study abroad trip. And I wrote an article because I was so fed up of meeting new people and explaining myself to them and them asking me what I was beginning to get really grated at and felt like were stupid questions about my sex life and, mm. like, my libido and all of this other stuff that, like, was completely irrelevant. And people telling me, I don't know why people do this, but apparently sex is what makes us human, even though dinosaurs had sex and dinosaurs definitely didn't have language. And it didn't work out too well for them anyway, did it? That's not a great no. example <laughs> of anything, is it, really? But also, this is the other thing about being part of a, an identity that doesn't have a lot of visibility if you get angry at people they push back against your entire identity and your entire group of people so I wasn't Mm. able to get angry in person because it felt like I was doing wrong by all of the people who would possibly be affected by that so what I did instead was I wrote a really long tongue-in-cheek angry article about what it was like to be ace and all of the misconceptions that people have about it Mm. addressing those misconceptions and telling people better questions to ask instead basically and I posted it on my Facebook and both of my parents liked it and I was like hang on (laughs) have we actually had this conversation or is this the first you're hearing about me being ace because it might be (laughs) I mean it's always dangerous having your parents as friends on Facebook for a start I imagine yes (laughs) Well, posting that article, I mean, coming out is something that you never stop doing. There's the first time, there's the second time, there's the, oh God, I haven't stopped counting time. I've been working at my bookshop for two years now, and about six months ago I found out that one of my colleagues didn't know I was queer. And I was like, what? (laughs) How? (laughs) It was a very funny conversation. My parents haven't addressed it with me since. Oh, so they just liked the post and you still haven't had the conversation? 
Basically, yeah. Oh, okay. I, I, I came back from Australia uh, in a QPR, which is a queer platonic relationship, which... I mean, Google it. I don't want to go into it. We'll be here all day. Uh, okay, it's no, different that's fine. For every, it's, a, it's different for every person. But it basically, I referred to my QPR partner as my girlfriend because it was easier. Mm-hmm. And my parents spent the entirety of that Christmas referring to her as my friend. And I was like, <laughs> okay. So you've read the article and you know that I'm queer. And I can't tell whether you're like, okay, well you guys aren't having sex, which also was not part of the article and would have been a misinterpretation, but you aren't having sex and therefore you're just friends, or, oh God, we can't cope with the fact that our daughter is queer, will not mention it. Like, I don't know where that was coming from. So there's still a conversation to be had by the sounds of it. Yeah. I'm not entirely convinced that they don't think that I'm straight now. Because you're dating a boy. Because I'm dating a man. Mm. And... He's very sweet and very funny about it. When we moved into this house, he was like, where are you putting your race flag? And I was like, I don't know. I don't know. I've always had it in my bedroom. And now I have more than just my bedroom. That's my space. <laughs> and he was like, do you want to hang it up in the, in the living room? And I was like, yeah, I want to hang it up in the living room. <laughs> so it now sits above the sofa and is in full view and is our background whenever we Skype both sets of our parents. <laughs> Oh, okay. So do his parents clock that or and understand it or there not been a conversation there? They haven't asked. So mm. his, his sister is married to a woman and his twin is non-binary. So they definitely know what it means or if they didn't, they Googled ah. it. Okay. But his parents, I don't know. They're very sweet and they are very accepting of their children. And I think they are quite happy to just let me be me until I'm willing or if I ever want to talk to them about it. Which, to be perfectly honest... I don't know if I'll ever do. I don't know if I want to try and have that conversation. Well, I mean, to be honest, as I've always said, I mean, who really wants to talk to their parents <laughs> or their partner's parents about their sex life in any shape yeah. or form? You know, you just yeah. it's just a conversation you don't really want to have, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Mm. And I've, I've come out to a couple of my aunts and uncles as well. And the conversation with them has tended to revert back to that like oh does your partner mind that you don't have sex and I'm like that's not (laughs) how many times do I have to tell people that that's not what it means well I feel like you may be saying it for a long time longer actually Rianne because I feel like the whole world is just sort of catching up to this um well it's not new but um it's definitely more out there than it used to be Um, The, the words the language for the concepts are still fairly new mm. and that's what people are taking time getting used to, I think. Yeah. For a lot of a lot of other queer people, it's not necessary to think of your sexual and romantic attractions as separate because they're experienced in the same parcel. Mm. And that's quite unfortunate because it does mean that ace people do also get deliberately and unintentionally excluded from queer safe spaces. Mm. So let's imagine that there's a 14-year-old listening to this who uh, may have sat in their biology class yesterday trying to weigh up whether they were gay, straight, asexual, whatever they were, and were a bit confused, but in a similar position to you were. What, what would your advice be to them? I don't want to say go on the internet. <laughs> there are but it's definitely an option. Yeah, It is an option. If you're going to go and look for ace activists and ace people to follow, look up Angela Chen. Uh, She's written an amazing book called Ace, which is just one of the best books I've ever read about asexuality. And admittedly, there aren't that many. I think think there are six. But it's absolutely fantastic. Uh, Loveless by Alice Oseman, I've mentioned already, is a teen 
YA coming out story, which is just handled beautifully. Um, I believe its own voices as well. I believe that Alice Oseman is somewhere on the asexuality spectrum. There is an incredible influencer on uh, Instagram who I absolutely love, um, whose name is Yasmin Benoit. And she is an asexual person who is also a model, an ambassador for Love Honey, uh, a lingerie model. She's brilliant. She's been one of the driving forces behind uh, International Asexuality Day. One of the things with asexuality is that a lot of the people who ascribe to it are people who are privileged enough to be able to find out about it. And in the age of the internet, that is mostly through the internet. Mm-hmm. And it's also people who will suffer less societally for being able to talk about sexuality like this. So the asexual community is skewed very, very strongly towards white women. There are a lot of asexual people who are white women. Well, that's interesting in itself, yeah. I, I, I think it's a lot harder for men to mm. talk about a lack of sexual attraction. And heaven knows, I, as a cis person, I don't want to try and get into it, but I can't imagine how much more difficult it's, it is if you're trans or non-binary. Mm. So what I would also suggest doing, even if you're not ace, have a look. There is a, an Instagram account and an Instagram tag called This Is What Asexual Looks Like. And it's just normal ace people taking pictures of themselves and posting them in that tag and on that Instagram just to be visible, just to be seen. And is there a mixture there? Have we got people of different races? Have we got more men on there? Yeah. It is, right. It's entirely self-submitted. So you can mm. see. You can see the skew. But there are men. There are trans people. There are non-binary mm. people. There are Good. people of colour. It's uh, Angela Chen is incredible like one of the things about ace that i loved so much is how intersectional it is like there's a whole chapter on disability and asexuality which is something that again doesn't happen enough in queer discussion no it's a fantastic book but there are resources out there and if you are able to access them please do because actually being able to find ace communities at the moment is harder than it should be there is work to be done. Well, I, I love the fact that you're so passionate about all the books that you've mentioned in particular. And I do feel like you must be working on your own. And it's going to—it's only a matter of time before we're reaching for the Rianne Pritchard book on our bookshelves, right? It's happening right now. That is what I'm doing with my afternoon. Do, do, do. I so knew I, it. I so knew it. <laughs> I did creative writing at university and I did it because I'm not a particularly mathematic person. I'm not particularly like good at engineering or science or any of that but I had this idea that I wanted to do something that made a difference you know when you do when you're a teenager and you're young and optimistic I was like (laughs) I'm gonna make a difference I'm gonna be that person in the world and I am writing a a three book fantasy novel where my two protagonists are ace and fall in love with each other yes I love this already (laughs) I so knew you'd be writing a book on it I so knew well yeah (laughs) a lot of people have a lot of uh predetermined ideas about I was a pole dancer an out ace pole dancer hang on a minute say that again for a long time you were a pole dancer a pole dancer yes so one of the things that I did when I was at university is that I danced at pride and I danced on the pole and I danced my own coming out story and at the very end of the song I had my flag tied to the very top of the pole and I pulled it off and I was hanging upside down from the pole with my flag out (laughs) You told your coming out story through the power of dance and pole yes. dancing. Yes. Well, 
I mean, this is just making my head explode. (laughs) Again, it's one of those misconceptions that ace people can't be sexy and enjoy sexuality and enjoy sex. And Mm. I like being a living embodiment of irony. So... (laughs) It sounds it. The wonderful Rianne speaking there. And I'm very much looking forward to moving to her commune at some point in the future. It was so enlightening to speak to Rianne and really interesting to hear how literature plays such a big part in her life and her education. She works at an independent bookshop in Bath and she also runs a monthly queer book review which you can read at mrbsemporium.com. That's just the letter B, by the way. And while we're talking about the importance of queer literature, it would be very foolish of me not to mention our own book, Yep, we've got one. Coming Out Stories is edited by myself, Emma Goswell, and Sam Walker. And it's available in all good bookstores. Next time we meet, you'll hear from Jamie in Bristol. He's a musician in the handbag punk genre. Yes, he did invent that. And he told me he had a family friend or a gunkle who first told him he was gay. When he used to look after us when we were young, when it was just us, he would babysit for me. We'd dress up in my mother's clothes, you know. He, I, he would be the queen mum and I would be the queen. Uh, we just would laugh. You know, it was very freeing with him. He never used to say, are you gay? He used to say, you're gay. <laughs> but in a, in a nice way, you know.